0: Who had been born blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we know not where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from. And yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And they cast him out. Jesus heard they had cast him out. And having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Thank you. Be seated, please. Well, it is so good to be back. Um, we enjoyed our our time with our daughter and uh, family last week. But there is no place on earth like Bethany Bible Church. And we're glad to be back uh, to see all of you. Very thankful for each one of you. We love you in Christ Jesus. And we pray for you that God would enrich your Life and your spirit to receive the word and to live by it. For those of you that are visiting, we welcome you. This is your first time here. You're a very special guest to us, and we're glad that you're here and pray that you will be blessed. Have been already blessed by being here, but we'll be blessed by the Word itself too this morning. Today is Father's Day, and just very quickly, let's have all the dads stand up, where you are, dads, granddads, give them a big hand. (laughs) Father's Day. Thank you. We're very thankful for you. Now, as we continue in John chapter 9, we are in a verse-by-verse study of the gospel of John. Uh, we have been here now for 97 weeks today in John's gospel. And uh, I-, I have thoroughly enjoyed studying John's gospel simply because it. It tells us of the divine Son of God who came from the Father and lived on this earth. Lived a sinless, perfect life. His righteousness is now our righteousness. And we stand before Him justified, acquitted of all sin because of His life imposed and imputed to us. That we are thankful for. He took our sin on the cross. He buried it in the deepest part of the sea. He he separated us from it as far as the east is from the west. We will never be condemned before Him because of His work in our behalf. That we have great joy in reporting We see some of that here in John chapter 9 as we come to the close of this chapter. This is the first part of that last few verses, verses 35 through 41. And as we continue, as we come to the end of the miracle about the healing of the man born blind, we see that blindness is often used in Scripture to speak of man's inability to understand the things of God. It has been used this way throughout the Old Testament, and now into the New Testament we see this so very clearly. Even the apostles themselves speak of it. Isaiah called people bl- who said, people who are blind yet have eyes. We also see it in Jeremiah. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see. Isaiah 56, the watchmen are blind. They are without knowledge. That's a very important verse in, our, in our, our study this morning. Matthew 15, verse 14, let them alone, Jesus said, speaking of the Pharisees. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, they both fall into the pit. But blind as he was, this man who lay outside of the temple uh, proper, begging for scraps and begging for coins from people, obeyed the Lord's command to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And after washing, he received his sight, and he went home a different man. He is now one who could see. After this, he came the tenth degree from the Pharisees. They didn't believe that he had been born blind until they called his parents in and asked them. And they, they corroborated the fact that he was born blind, that he was their son. However, they forsook him and left him in the clutches of the Jews, bringing to pass the Psalmist words, my father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. His parents would now have nothing more to do with him. Their son, to them, and to society around them, was an outcast. And this is no, really no different from how people treat Christians today, and it's it's getting worse as we see secularism uh, progress around, all around us, and the social socialism that is plaguing our country. The Apostle Paul himself writes. About himself and of those who follow Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says we have become and we still are the scum of the world. The refuse of all things. If you follow Christ, if you walk in obedience to Christ, you are going to be considered as scum. You are going to be considered as less than other people around you. This formerly blind man is now feeling the sting of rejection because of his association with Christ. But physical sight was not all Jesus had planned for this man. He had spiritual sight in mind for him. What good is physical sight if one ends up Blind their whole life to the things of God and ends up in hell. Verse 35, it says Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Which Jesus obviously knew would happen. And it says, having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now at this point, we see Jesus... In His grace and mercy, searching for the man and finding him. This, my friends, is a beautiful picture of the sovereign work of God in salvation. God hunting down desperate criminals who have broken His law and sinned against His holiness. And finding them. Now there are four things that appear in verses 35 to 39 that I want you to see this morning that deal with genuine salvation in relation to genuine salvation. These four things are always present in salvation when it is true and genuine. So notice the first thing in verse 35. The first thing is the exercise of divine sovereignty. Now the unbeliever doesn't know that this is taking place when when the holy hound of heaven is on his trail. He doesn't know that he is being pursued by God. But that is exactly what is happening. God goes out on a hunt. For his own, and he brings them to Christ. It's a beautiful picture of grace and mercy. The first part of this picture is found in the words, having found him. Having found him. This is the biblical teaching of God seeking out the sinner and bringing that person, him or her, to Christ. And we've already seen this in action in John's Gospel. As Jesus made his way to a well outside the city of Sychar in Samaria, and there he engaged in a conversation with a woman who was an adulteress, and he had this conversation with her and revealed to her in John chapter 4 that he was indeed the one that they had been looking for, the Messiah, the true one from God. And he gave her the water of life, And she went and told everybody she knew about the water of life and how he had changed her life. And he spent four days with them and teach, taught them about the things concerning the kingdom of God. It was the work of the Father. The Father is always at work drawing people who to Christ, who then receives Christ. As their own. The Father was at work when Jesus was on this earth. Drawing people to the Savior. He is at work today. Just as he was then. All this time. Drawing people to the Son. This man was no exception in that. No sinner ever comes to Christ on his own initiative. He cannot come. And not only can he not come, he will not come. He is at odds with God. He is an enemy of God. Notice, um, actually, turn with me to Romans chapter 3 very quickly. These are very familiar verses but these are verses that you that you can use to let people know what their spiritual condition without Christ is. Romans 3 verse 10 as it is written none is righteous no not one. Now that's pretty clear. We have no righteousness. Not a single person on the face of this earth has any righteousness. They cannot stand before God and point to themselves and say, "Look at how good a person I am." Why? For verse twelve says, "All have all have turned aside." Excuse me, verse eleven. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about, oh, I'm I'm searching for God. No, they're not. Nobody searches for God. The only people who want to know God are the ones that the Father draws to the Savior. Verse 12, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. The Father is at work. He draws people to the Son. He finds people. He casts His net and He draws them to the Savior. They cannot get away. Once He starts to draw them, they cannot get away from His His power of bringing them to the Son. Jesus said, no one can come to Me unless the Father who sent Me draws him. There is a total inability in unbelievers making it impossible for them to come to Christ on their own. Sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'm not ready to make that decision. I'll make that decision later. No, they won't. They are placing themselves in, in eternal jeopardy by putting off the salvation that God has given them. Romans chapter 8 verse 7 says, For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. The unbeliever can't submit to God's law on their own. But with God, all things are possible. God is able to override the inability of lost humanity and actually make it so that the lost who are dead in their trespasses and sins are able to come and can and do come to Christ. This is why Jesus said, all that come to me, I will never cast out. We're going to look at that closely here in a moment. But only God can do this work. It, it's not a work that you or I can do. If I, could, if I could give salvation to people, I guarantee you I would be doing it. But I can't do it. Only God can do it. The reason it, that it's this way is so that God can receive all the glory for the salvation of the lost. He won't share His glory. He's the one that does the work from beginning to end. And He's the one that gets all the glory for it. Listen, if if we, if we had anything to do with the salvation that we have in Christ, we would be boasting of it. But Lord, look what I did. Look how I lived. Look, look to things that I suffered. There will be no I. I did or I, I had... Or I willed when we stand before God. It will be all what you did, Lord. You did this. I want you to notice another thing here. Notice another word in verse 35 that captures the sovereign work of God in the promise of security in salvation. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. He was literally, the words cast out literally means to, to throw out or to discard, to refuse, to expel. He was thrown out, expelled from the synagogue. Now these words, cast out, are the same words that Jesus used back in chapter 6. Notice verse 37 of chapter 6. He says, "All that the will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out." It's the same word. So look at it. Look at the look at the picture here. This man has been cast out from the temple. He is now a he is now not able to exist in society. It is the reverse. Of what Jesus said he would do for those who came to him. He, they cast this blind man out. But Jesus finds him and assures him that he will never be cast out. Listen, dear friend. If you're here this morning and you're a believer in Christ and you're walking with Christ and you're in love with Christ, you will never be discarded. You will never be refused. You will never be cast out. You are secure in Christ Jesus. That's good news. This man was a vagabond to his parents' house, to his neighborhood. And in the temple, he had become socially unacceptable. Is this not a picture of the unbeliever in relation to God? Listen, we were all outcasts. All outcasts, just like this blind man. We were vagabonds, only having relation to other vagabonds. But like this man, Jesus came and He found us. And He accepted us as a gift from the Father and promised He would never throw us out, never put us away, or make us leave His presence. His presence is always with us through the Spirit that indwells us. I was talking with someone this morning. We talked about the communion and... <clears throat> how some believe that this becomes the body and the blood of Christ, the actual body and blood when He's taken, and how much closer you can be to Jesus when it turns into His blood and His flesh. Listen, we're closer to Jesus in our spirit than we are anywhere else. He's inside of us, on the inside, where food and drink cannot reach. I want to talk about being close. There's nothing closer than that. Now, to give you just an indication of how strong how strong this security is, look at look at what he says. He says, "I will never cast out," verse 637. I will never cast out. He uses the strongest language in the negative to indicate how secure we are in Him. He uses the little the little Greek word ooh, which is a absolute negative. I will never cast out, and then he couples that with another negative particle, may, which expresses absolute denial. So here's what he's saying: he is saying that. When the Father brings you to me, I will receive you, and I will never, ever deny you or send you away from myself. In other words, Jesus will never turn us away, leave us behind for all eternity that's why he says in Romans chapter 8, who can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing can. Because Jesus himself has made the promise and he cannot lie. and Therefore, it is secure. And you are secure in him if you know him in the forgiveness of sin. When Jesus found the man, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? He is confronting this man with his Greatest need. And the emphasis is on His person. That's why salvation is not a collective thing. It's an individual thing. It could read like this. You. Do you believe in the Son of Man? He's in, the emphasis is on the word you. You. He's confronting him with his spiritual need. He's asking him. He he, he didn't ask him if he believed in a miracle worker. He didn't ask him if he believed in a prophet from God. He asked him if he believed in the Messiah, the Son of Man, God in the flesh. And would he follow... In commitment to the Son of Man. His spiritual need was the saving of his soul. Yes, he could see physically, but he could not see spiritually. And all of a sudden, things began to change. This title, Son of Man, is equal to the Son of God. Jews interchangeably threw out the uh, Gospels. It comes from Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. That's none other than Jesus Christ. The Son of Man. The Jews were familiar with that term. They knew what the term meant. They knew that the Son of Man would be their Messiah they were looking for that kingdom which Daniel said he would have dominion and glory and a kingdom of all people and nations and languages and they should serve him in an everlasting dominion. That's what the Jews were looking for. They were not looking for a suffering Savior. They were looking for a conquering Savior. They did not realize that he would conquer in the way that he did. And so it prophesied the coming of the Messiah King who would destroy his enemies and set up his kingdom. But you can see the comparison of all of that in the passages that I've listed in the notes. Notice verse 36. We see the second thing in relation to genuine salvation. The first is the exercise of divine sovereignty. And here in verse 36, we see the understanding of divine knowledge. The understanding of divine knowledge. When asked the question, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? He didn't know that Jesus was the Messiah. It's pretty obvious that this man did not recognize Jesus as the one who had healed him from his blindness. For he did not see him until this moment. He uses the word Sir. That word is the Greek word kurios, which is the word that's normally translated Lord. But here it's correct in translating it with Sir. Because he's showing respect on a human level to Jesus. But in verse 38... The same word is used again, and it's translated Lord. And we'll look at that in a moment. It has a different import in verse 38 than it does here in verse 36. The answer that the man gave shows that God had prepared his heart to receive divine knowledge about Christ. He had already confessed that Jesus was sent by God in verse 33 and that he believed that Jesus was a prophet in verse 17 but he didn't know that he was the messiah the savior he didn't have spiritual understanding or spiritual knowledge you know i've heard people say over the years oh you when you're talking to him about spiritual thing, oh I've read the Bible and I, I, I don't understand it. I mean that, who can understand that the things in the Bible? And the reason that they don't understand it is because they're aliens from it. They have no spiritual insight. They have no spiritual understanding, no knowledge of how God works in the lives of people. Paul gives us the explanation of this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, if you'd like to look at it with me. Notice what he says, 1 Corinthians 2, 14. He says, the natural person, who is that? That's the unbelieving, those who, those who do not know Christ, those who have not confessed their sins and found forgiveness in Christ, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They don't accept it. Why? Because it's foolishness to them. It's folly. That's why they don't accept it. And he is not able to understand it. Because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the word of God to people's hearts and lives and minds. And without the Holy Spirit doing that, no one understands those spiritual things. The example of this is found in Acts chapter 8. Turn with me to Acts 8. We see here... In Acts 8, Philip, under the direction of the Lord, going toward Damascus. Go toward the south road, he said, in verse 26. Going towards Gaza. It was a desert place. There was an Ethiopian eunuch that was uh, a member of the royal house of Candace, the queen He was traveling on the road, and he was reading Isaiah fifty-three from a scroll. And the Lord said, "Go to him and join him in his travel." And so Philip went, and as Philip approached, he could hear him reading. He could—he was reading out loud and Philip joined him in the char- in his chariot or in his coach whatever it was and Philip said to him in verse 30 do you understand what you're reading that's a great way that's a great way to uh, get started especially if you see somebody reading some the bible or a new testament or so do you understand what you're reading his man said well, how can i unless somebody shows me unless somebody teaches me how can i that's exactly right you can't it says philip began right there at that same place where he was reading and that was in isaiah 53 verse 7 are oh, we like sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before his shears he was silent he opened not his mouth his life was taken from the earth who is this person is it, is it the author or is it somebody else, he asked? He had no spiritual understanding about what he was reading until that knowledge was revealed to him through the gospel. And we know it was the gospel that revealed it to him because it says Peter started right at that point and preached to him Jesus. And the eunuch was born again. Trusted Christ on that road. Philip took him down into the water at his request. Took him down into the water and baptized him right there. And then Philip was supernaturally transported away from there. And the eunuch went on. Imagine how many people you're going to meet in heaven who became believers because of that eunuch. Paul emphasizes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the importance of preaching the gospel so that the knowledge of Christ might be brought to people and they might understand who Jesus is and who they are in relation to Him. This is what he says. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us, Spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ everywhere. That's how he does it, through us. Through the words that we speak, through the lives that we live. People have to know, they have to understand, or they will never come to faith in Christ. This man was being drawn by the Father, he was being illuminated by the Spirit. And now he is ready to believe in the Messiah. This is the theme and the basis of salvation throughout the Scriptures. Jesus came preaching and saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. in fact this very gospel was written so that you may believe and in believing you may have life by through his name. <clears throat> when Peter approached I mean when Paul approached the uh, Philippian jailer and the man cried, "What must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Commit your way to Him. Follow Him. Love Him. Be His disciple. There is human responsibility, and yet there is sovereign working of God. Acts 13, verse 48. Notice the last two things. Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. Third thing in relation to genuine salvation is a recognition of Christ as Lord through faith. The answer is one that Jesus rarely gives. We see it in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well they are a personal attribution of his person as the Son of Man as the Son of God, the Messiah. I it's me look you're looking at me I'm the one and the man said, I believe he is the object of saving faith he had presented himself as such in Capernaum in chapter 6 verse 29 where he told them, the work of God is this, that you believe in Him who He has, who has sent. This man, without any hesitation, makes a personal profession of faith in Christ as Lord. And he uses that same word, kurios, that he used when he said, sir, before. But now it's, it's different. Now his, his spiritual eyes are open. Now he can see Jesus for who He really is. He is the Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. I believe, He says, Lord. It's different now. He calls Him Lord because He has believed and He has committed Himself to following Jesus as His disciple. How did He come to that change? He came to that change... By the Holy Spirit opening his blind spiritual eyes. Paul says that one can only say Jesus is Lord truly by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we know that there are fakes who say that, but they're not true. They're not genuine. This man has just been born again. His darkened heart has been opened and now he confesses with his mouth that he believes. When was the last time you confessed with your mouth that Jesus was your Lord? Romans 10, verses 9 and 10. Notice the last thing. And this is the... This, all these things are there in this man's life as he became a believer. And it's the same in every life of anyone who becomes a believer. The last thing found in verse 38. It says, and he worshipped him. There's the indication. Who do we worship? Genuine salvation always results in true Worship. His heart, the eyes of his heart have been opened. He can see clearly that Jesus is the one to be worshipped. And only true believers are capable of actually worshipping Christ. Now listen, there are a lot of people in churches all across the country this morning. And they come there to worship But only those who truly know Christ and the forgiveness of sin can worship Him. Unbelievers can't worship Christ. Not in truth. Those who play church or claim to be believers but are not cannot worship truly. They can go through all the motions, they can play the games. They can play church, but true worship is the inescapable result of true conversion, true salvation. And when a person comes to know Christ, they have a desire to worship. They don't want to not worship. They, they could care less about replacing worship with something else on a regular basis. We see it all through the New Testament. When they got into the boat as Peter walked on the sea, it says they were all marveled and they worshipped him. The two disciples on the road to Emmaus had their eyes opened by the Lord. It finally says in verse 52, they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. The day is coming. When all of the created universe will be forced to bow the knee to Jesus Christ and they will worship Him even though they do not want to. And they will confess Him as Lord. But for most of those on that day, it will be too late. They will say Jesus is Lord because they're made to say it. But they don't want to say it. this man worshiped because he wanted to worship the one who had opened his spiritual eyes I, I found this uh, found this clipping from Charles Spurgeon on this man and his, and the result of his salvation and I'll close with this Spurgeon writes Further, he acted, this man acted as a believer, for he worshipped him. This proves how his faith had grown. I should like to ask you, who are the people of God when you are the happiest? My happiest moments, he says, are when I am worshipping God, really adoring the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the nearest approach to what it will be in heaven, where day without night... They will offer perpetual adoration to Him that sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Hence, what a memorable moment it was for this man when he worshipped Christ. Now Now, if Christ was not God, that man was an idolater, a man worshiper. If Christ is not God, we are not Christians. We are deceived dupes and we are idolaters as bad as the heathen whom we now pity. It is making a man into a God if Christ be not God. But blessed be His holy name. He is God. And we feel that it is the supreme delight of our being to worship Him. We cannot veil our face with our wings, for we have none. But we do veil them with His own robe of righteousness whenever we approach Him. We cannot cover our feet with our wings as the angels do. But we do take His blood and His righteousness both as a covering for our feet and as wings with which we fly up to Him. As though as yet we have no crowns to cast at His dear feet, yet if we have any honor, any good repute, any grace, anything that is beautiful, anything honest, we lay it all at the feet of Jesus and cry, Not unto us, O Lord. But unto your name we give glory. Is that your relationship with Jesus Christ today? Has He opened your eyes to see Him as the Lord and the Savior and yourself as a sinner? Have you come to Him in faith, saying, Lord, I believe? And do you worship Him? as the only one worthy to be worshipped. I pray that's true in your life. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for this Lord's Day and for the opportunity to come and to worship You. Truly, Lord, we bow before Your your throne and, and Your grace and Your mercy. We, we depend upon... Because we are poor and needy and we have no righteousness of our own to speak of or to hold us or to hold in your presence. You alone are our righteousness. You alone do we worship. I pray, Father, that you would fill our our hearts with love and adoration for you this morning. For we desire to worship you in the beauty of holiness and righteousness which you provide, which comes from your throne. We love you, our Lord, and we pray that you would receive our worship this morning as a token of our adoration to you. Save those that are not believers this morning. And encourage those who are to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All the announcements that we have are in the bulletin for you. We have a church picnic coming up on the 8th of July. 9th of July. 8th or 9th. I can't remember now. And a baptism on the 23rd. All those that are have told us we you, you want to be baptized. We need to. Dave and I need to meet with you. Just talk for a few moments, and uh, if you could set that up with us, that would be that would be good. All right, brother Steve, if you'll come back, please, brother, and close us in prayer.